0: From KQED. from KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Last night in downtown Oakland, some 8,000 people protested the city's 8 p.m. curfew. Cities and counties set curfews to maintain public safety. But critics say they can keep away law-abiding protesters, effectively silencing those wanting to be heard. While Mayor London Breed lifted San Francisco's curfew yesterday after local businesses were looted, Walnut Creek police have issued a curfew for tonight. Coming up on Forum, we examine just how effective curfews really are. But first, we get the latest in the investigation against the police involved in George Floyd's death. Join us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Cities around the Bay Area have set curfews on more than 5 million people in the wake of protests over the killing of George Floyd, arguing that it helps maintain public safety. But civil rights groups, including the American Civil Liberties Union, have criticized these measures for violating First Amendment rights to assembly and free speech. San Francisco, which had been operating under an 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew, changed tack yesterday and lifted the curfew. But other cities are extending them, some with no end date. In this hour, we're going to talk about curfews and whether they protect public safety or violate civil rights. But first, we're going to Minnesota to get the latest news in the George Floyd case, where yesterday the other three officers involved were arrested and charged. Joining me is Catherine Richard. She's senior reporter with Minneapolis Public Radio News. And welcome, Catherine. Good to have you with us.
1: Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I guess the place to begin here is just to let listeners know that uh, there's there's a charge now of second degree murder against Derek Chauvin, the officer who put his uh, knee on the neck of George Floyd, and three others have aiding and abetting charges in second degree murder. What really prompted this uh, is really what I need to ask you initially, because the attorney general said protests had nothing to do with it. It was all based on fact.
1: Well, you know, I think one thing happened before these charges were brought, which is that the state attorney general, Keith Ellison, was named special prosecutor in this case that happened a few days ago. He announced these uh, new charges against Derek Chauvin yesterday, which are more severe than what we heard first, and then the additional charges against the three other officers. He said he's been reviewing the evidence uh, with the Hennepin County Attorney Um, And they feel strongly that these are charges that make sense in this situation. Um, I will note, of course, though, that this is the day before uh, memorial service is held here in Minneapolis for George Floyd. Um, So certainly I think that this news will uh, temper what we're seeing later today.
0: And they're all being held on a million dollar bond, which uh, means essentially uh, and could get sentenced theoretically. Well, there have not been a lot of convictions in these police cases with police brutality, but could get 50 up to 40 years. Is that right?
1: Yeah. You know, and I will say that the three officers who were involved are uh, going to be seen in court for the first time today. And Derek Chauvin is supposed to be seen in court on Monday, June 8th.
0: And it, this had to do presumably also with the official homicide that, that, that deemed it murder, didn't it?
1: I'm sorry. Katie, you repeat that?
0: uh it had to do i mean bringing changing these charges with an official homicide ruling uh from the autopsy from the coroner's office i assume
1: right yeah yeah exactly and you know that that um report that came out yesterday um did point to uh, a number of things that were going on with george floyd when he died Um, he did, it did say that he died of asphyxiation from sustained pressure, also noted a few other things, for instance, that he uh, had coronavirus, um, and did have some drugs in his system at the time of his death.
0: And the new charge means killing without intent or killing with intent or uh, distinguish for us what third degree as opposed to second degree means.
1: Well, you know, I'm not entirely clear to be totally honest with you. So I would hesitate to, to add any more to that.
0: I think it means uh, a new charge killed without intent. Uh, first degree is with intent. That was what I was assuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but there's a kind of fine line between third degree and, and second degree. Anyway, the two uh, it's charge at least helped him restrain. But there was an Asian-American officer who stood by. Uh, and there was another officer who at least a couple times asked him uh, t- to move over to the side. So this gets a bit muddled, but they're all having the same charges against them now. Right. That's
1: correct, yes. Yep. Aiding and abetting in second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter.
0: All right. Well, we'll see where this goes, and I thank you so much for being with us.
1: Yep.
0: It's Catherine Richard, senior reporter with Minneapolis Public Radio News, and we'll continue, obviously, to follow this. In this hour, we're going to be also talking about curfews and whether they protect public safety or violate civil rights. Joining us is Nancy O'Malley, district attorney with Alameda County and president of the California District Attorneys Association of Alameda County. They've set an 8 in Alameda, an 8 uh, p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew through tomorrow. And good to have you with us, Nancy O'Malley. Welcome. Thank you. We're also going to welcome Zach Norris. He's executive director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. Zach Norris, good morning.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Good to have you and good to have Jennifer Earle, who joins us as well. She's professor of sociology, University of Arizona, and studies how police handle protests. Jennifer Earle, good morning. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. And let me begin, Zach Norris, with you. Uh, you've been uh, essentially involved in an anti-curfew protest. Is this all a matter of civil liberties with you? Is that the concern, mainly?
2: Uh, this is a matter of black lives being taken seriously in this country. I think for so long, we have seen that there's a hierarchy of human value in this country that places white life at the highest and then white property and then white comfort. And then comes black lives and brown lives. Um, And we see that in terms of how George Floyd was killed. He was accused of using a counterfeit $20 bill, which is a piece of property. And officer Derek Chauvin put a knee on his neck for nearly nine minutes as people stood by and asked and begged and pleaded with him to stop two other officers helped hold him down, and a fourth officer stood by and watched. And so it is indicative of the way in which um, black people have been treated in this country for so long. And then on top of that, um, we have a president who responded by saying, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, reiterating the words of arch segregationists in the 1960s who fought to defend legalized apartheid in this country and so um, we are out and demanding that the policies and practices of law enforcement which by the way include curfews which by the way include the kind of violent response to black people's demand for civil liberties and for civil rights and for basic human rights we are out demanding that those tactics and those politics
0: end if uh, as you say a curfew is somehow an incentive or a catalyst to violent response it's also in many people's minds a way of ensuring public safety and certainly ensuring and nobody's denying or in any way questioning the horror of this tragedy of what happened uh, in minneapolis but I'm just wondering what you say to the argument that uh, to ensure public safety and also to ensure that the kind of destruction of property and uh, the sort of vandalism that we've seen uh, doesn't go on, you need a curfew.
2: Yeah, I, I think that people misunderstand um, the the demands. Um, so if you listen to um, protesters across the country, they aren't predominantly talking about the charges in this case. They are talking about Um, the need to defund the police and to actually support um, uh, healthcare and housing and uh, the things that actually make community safe because currently black people are dying at disproportionate rates from COVID. We are dying as a result of being unsheltered and not having housing while being told to shelter in place. And black folks like George Floyd are being killed as they attempt to survive um, what are very dire straits. And so this is a life and death matter. And to have um, the response to these demands for long overdue, century long overdue changes, be militarized police curfews, um, is just unconscionable. And I think we like to think that we're above the fray in the Bay Area, but we have this Alameda County Sheriff who has ordered this curfew. His office has retweeted the alt-right. His office has hosted the Oath Keepers a paramilitary formation at past um, paramilitary operations that they held in the County of Alameda. His office has been responsible for dozens of deaths Uh, here in Alameda County in the last five years alone. And so we like to think that the Bull Connors of the past are in the past, but the Bull Connor of the Bay Area is Greg Greg Ahern. And so for him to order a curfew in the context of the the President of the United States saying when the looting starts, the shooting starts, and for, frankly, media outlets such as yourself to continue to um, point to the destruction of property is part of a long narrative that, again, continues to place property above the importance of Black life and the systemic changes that we are demanding.
0: Zach Norris with us. He's Executive Director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. I want to bring District Attorney Nancy O'Malley into this. She's Alameda County uh, District Attorney and also President of the California District Attorneys Association. And Nancy O'Malley, uh, American Civil Liberties Union of Northern California sent out a letter just yesterday to Bay Area counties demanding that they immediately rescind or restrict curfew orders. How do you respond?
3: Well, I, uh, you know, the curfew orders that have been issued not just by Sheriff Gray Ahern, uh, but also by city mayors and uh, city councils. Uh, they're, those are directly in response to the extreme violence that co-opted or overtook. The protests that were the very important protests, with the very important message uh, and the vo- very important voices, but the, the violence and the uh, vandalism and the extreme vandalism and the looting uh, has co-opted all of that. And so, first of all, the, the law that that authorizes the ability to even issue an emergency order that includes a curfew, it says it's only it can only be good for seven days without further examination and. Um, authorization. The second part of that law says that the proclamation uh, should be terminated at the earliest possible date that conditions warrant it. And uh, as you're aware, the listeners are aware, the, the at least Alameda County uh, curfew order expires tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. So it was from Friday, excuse me, Monday night to Friday morning uh, when the City of Oakland issued their curfew order. Uh, not only did Mayor Schaaf speak, but also the chief, Mannheimer, who talked about uh, that in just from one period from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., there were more than 50 arrests that included shooting, uh, looting. Uh, the police department has been shot up several times. We know that that groups of people who are not there, they're not here to protest the injustice and the murder of George Floyd and the systematic and systemic racism that exists in this country, they're here to do destruction. And, uh, and so that is where the focus is really placed right now. The protests that have been going on have been, for the, and for the most part, peaceful. Uh, it doesn't mean people have not been expressing their anger, the anger that comes from their soul and their heart, that that is—that's that, still happening. Yesterday, there were three protests in Oakland alone. Uh, that were and one of them that there were police were clearing the street so the protesters would be able to continue uh, with their march. And so I I really want to make sure that it's clear that the curfew is really focused on the on stopping the extreme danger and the extreme damage and the extreme uh, violence that's going on after dark by groups that are not here committed to changing the the status of. Uh, police brutality in America.
0: Let me ask you, though, uh, District Attorney O'Malley, uh, just about the ACLU's argument, uh, and it it kind of goes like this, that there's too much discretion over who to arrest when you have a curfew. It's too broad. It inflames uh, by giving police, in other words, wide discretion to arrest, and uh, uh, the result is that what we essentially heard from Zach Norris, uh, there is oppression, I guess you could call it, or there is certainly a, a kind of random uh, arresting of people without cause in many instances and a violation of uh, civil rights.
3: Well, uh, I mean, I appreciate the civil rights argument and respect the argument that's being made. Um, however, there is a law in the books that authorizes these emergency orders. And the emergency order does not say that people cannot protest or exercise their First Amendment right. It limits the hours when that can be done. The uh, you know for people who are violating the curfew last night there was a curfew violation purposefully done but it was peaceful and it ended up in the those participating in dancing uh, and Chief Manheimer said that they were not going to enforce the order when the when the uh, protest or the people that are technically violating the order it's peaceful uh, and so you know I, I, the other part is that even if somebody is detained for violating the, the curfew because they don't fit as under one of the exempt uh, categories that they're they're being cited at the at the location and told to go to go sh- shelter in place essentially uh, and it, it, it isn't li- it isn't unlike the slight it's different but the but the same concept of telling people they need to stay in their homes after a certain time or telling they need to stay in their homes is what we're doing right now with shelter in place where people are being told to stay in their homes because, for good purpose, trying to stop a pandemic from spreading. And the same thing here, that this limited-hour curfew is designed to stop the violence that's happening by people who are not here to protest the murder of George Floyd or other injustices that exist.
0: Since you mentioned the pandemic, are you concerned that arrested protesters could get COVID-19 in the Santa Rita Jail?
3: Well, there aren't... uh, The the Santa Rita Jail has got um, very strong precautions about how people are coming into the jail, uh, that the people that that are booked can be booked into the jail. Uh, And as you – your listeners may know that the chief justice issued an order that says for people that are not – that are arrested for certain crimes are to have no bail imposed, meaning they can be arrested and booked, but then they're released. Looting is an exempt charge from that, Uh, but when people do go into the jail, the health department or the health uh, organization that provides medical services is uh, they step in and and check people and put people in safe places where where there's not uh, there's not a contamination.
0: Forgive me, District Attorney O'Malley, but uh, I just want to get your response quickly because I want to also hear from Jennifer Earle. about the fact that uh, they've had cases there. That's why I raised it last month. They started testing all new inmates within 48 hours. Uh, I want to get your response to a quote from the sheriff's spokesman about concerns that protesters arrested could get sick. Quote, if they want to complain now that they're worried about COVID-19 after they've been out destroying communities and destroying lives, we're not feeling a lot of sympathy for them.
3: Well, I don't support or agree with that statement at all.
0: Okay, I want to actually bring Jennifer Earle into this. Uh, Nancy O'Malley, again, is District Attorney, Alameda County, and President of the California District Attorneys Association. Jennifer Earle is Professor of Sociology, University of Arizona. I suppose there's a reason, Jennifer Earle, just to, to get a little bit of uh, history here, why uh, the use of curfews are so rare. I mean, not only here in the United States, often with disasters, perhaps, but beyond that for police purposes, but even in places like Hong Kong, which... Uh, Certainly the police uh, have been used to keep keep all kinds of resistance down, and the Chinese would like a hard line. In other words, why the great reluctance against using curfews?
4: Well, as you raised uh, from the ACLU, there are real civil liberties questions about the use of curfews. And so if we look internationally, even, as you mentioned, governments that we might think of as uh, more authoritarian, like the... Uh, Chinese government, um, or the Hong Kong officials who are, of course, in a uh, right now trying to decide the future of Hong Kong and whether or not it will become more like uh, mainland China or not, um, have been reluctant to use curfews because curfews really are a very serious limitation on everyone. So, not just uh, people who would like to use their constitutional rights in the American case. Um, but also particularly people who would like to um, exercise their constitutional rights. And I think uh, you know what we've heard so far, um, I guess, is an idea of curfews as being very strategically and surgically used, but I'm not convinced that that's actually what we're seeing around the nation. So is there any instance, history to
0: show that they actually provide for uh, protection of public safety, or certainly work as and uh, work against the kind of uh, vandalism? And uh, you know, we heard earlier from Zach Norris that this is part of the narrative, but there is vandalism and violence going on. And uh, just how really effective have curfews been historically in stopping that?
4: Well, I think um, we're not seeing, I mean, the bigger picture point that I would raise to to start off answering that is that we're not actually seeing all curfews being called in response to actual looting or actual property damage or actual violence. So for instance, in Riverside, California, um, they called a curfew, but they've had no violence there. They acknowledge that they've had no violence or property damage there. And in the statement from authorities calling the curfew, they said, that it was partly in anticipation of an upcoming demonstration. Um, And so you have cases like Cleveland where initially when the curfew was called, the police department was saying it included media, um, that the media were not gonna be allowed into the curfew areas um, to cover police action. And then you had the mayor's office saying, no, it doesn't include the media. Um, And ultimately the police had to concede that the curfew couldn't cover the media. So I wanna first challenge or problematize the idea that all the curfews that are being called are done in such a surgical and precise way in reaction to um, uh, property damage or violence um, or looting. The second thing I'd like to say is that historically speaking and likely when we get the data uh, for what's happening right now, looting is actually far less common than people think. Um, And that's, uh, it is true that Uh, politically motivated collective uh, action uh, uh, compared to disasters may historically have had more looting, but still at the aggregate level, looting is not uh, very common and it's not common right now. I mean, we do see examples of it, but compared to the tremendous amount of mobilization that's happening right now, and the tremendous amount of peaceful mobilization that's happening right now. Um, we're, we're really sort of uh, t- having a conversation about looting and property damage as If it's the dominant form of activity right now, when it's not.
0: Um, Let me, uh, and- I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm coming up on a break and I want to get listeners involved in this. I want to hear a response also from district attorney O'Malley. And I want to find out uh, what happened last night in uh, with the yellow Baker center for human rights from, uh, Zach Norris in terms of uh, anti-curfew protests, but I also want to hear from you, our listeners. And if you want to weigh in here on curfews, we want to hear from you. You can give us a call right now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is available to you. It's 866-733-6786. Again, toll-free, you can join us now. 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. And I'm looking at a tweet from a listener who writes, the curfews aren't stopping violence. They are justifying more violence against people in the name of preventing property damage, which is exactly the problem with policing. And that is one certainly strong side of the argument that we keep hearing. We've heard it earlier from Zach Norris. The other side of the argument, well, you heard essentially district attorney O'Malley put that forward that uh, in some cases it's really necessary and vital Um, We want to hear from you and your thoughts and where do you weigh in? We're talking not only with Zach Norris and Nancy O'Malley, but also Jennifer Earle, who's a professor of sociology, University of Arizona. More when we return. I'm Michael Krasny. This Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking this hour about curfews and whether they protect public safety or violate civil rights. And you can join us. You can give us a call and let us know what your thoughts are or certainly provide any questions that you might have. It's 866-733-6786, toll-free 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org with us is jennifer earl she's professor of sociology university of arizona zach norris executive director of the ella baker center for human rights and nancy o'malley district attorney with the alameda county and uh, also president of the california district attorneys association i want to go back to you if i may district attorney o'malley and get your response to this whole question that was raised with jennifer Earle about how uncommon looting is versus peaceful mobilization. I mean, is curfew an uh, overreaction, particularly in many people's minds, uh, because it has been used historically in all too many instances uh, against people of color? And that's the real- Well, it is
3: true uh, that at least what we've seen in Alameda County, that the number of looting cases that have come in before uh, the murder of George Floyd were very low. Uh, However, looting has completely- Overwhelmed uh, a lot of the protests, and even to the extent where we saw protesters who were there w- with with their heartfelt uh, voice, using their voices, they were stopping looters. They were stopping people that were destroying the small businesses, many of which are minority-owned businesses. So it's it is to to me, uh, there is a segment of people who have who have jumped into these very important protests with a very important uh discussion to do damage. And that really what, what curfew, what a curfew can do is for people that are who are out to just do damage, people that are looting because now over the since Friday night that all so many stores from all along the 880 quarter, the 680 quarter uh, going from one city to another in one night. It's very organized, and the looting is, is unbelievable. And the looting is not just about going into a store and stealing everything. The looting also is, has – or the, 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 those involved in that have – are armed. They're shooting. There is danger. There's, there's reckless driving on the roads. Uh, and so the, it, the, the, what all of the leaders in Alameda County have indicated is that issuing a curfew is the very last resort, the very last resort, But it isn't safe when you have this type of criminal activity going on between nine o'clock and three o'clock in the morning.
0: Let me get Zach Norris to weigh in on this. And Zach, uh, Daryl Steinberg, the mayor of Sacramento, issued a curfew and uh, issued it with a great deal of concern about the history that I just alluded to as far as curfews being used against people of color. But. Uh, He talked about $10 million in damage and 300 buildings with graffiti, but essentially he also said that there was intelligence that said that organized crime was trying to take advantage of this protest and many people out there protesting with very good reason to protest, of course, but uh, behind the protest, in other words, was criminal activity. So can a curfew be justified under those kind of circumstances, Zach?
2: No, I don't think it is. Uh, I would start with the fact that the law authorized the... The law ha- states that people aren't allowed to break into buildings, um, to shoot, to um, steal things, and it is the police's prerogative to enforce those laws. and that makes sense. Um, what a curfew is is different. Um, and the district attorney kind of quite frankly said it herself that you know, thousands of people came out. Um, in defiance of the curfew, uh, the police made a choice not to arrest those folks, but that was a choice. And as the ACLU noted in its complaint, um, Mm -hmm. it it gives law enforcement an opportunity to make arbitrary choices. And quite frankly, laws like curfew laws have history in this country. They are similar to laws like vagrancy laws, which post-emancipation came to be known as black codes and were used to arbitrarily bring former slaves back onto the plantation to work. um, Because they said, if you don't have a job, you could be brought back on to um, the plantation. And, And those laws, those kinds of arbitrarily applied laws continued into the 1960s and beyond.
0: Forgive Um, me, Zach, but just a footnote here, actually go back to the 17th and 18th century. I mean, the British colonies, they were used uh, against people of color too. That's
2: right, and and, you know, I would say that we ought to understand the context we live in. I mean, we're talking about authoritarian regimes in other places, but not looking inwardly, not looking at our own country where we have a president who has condoned violence by police officers against people. In speeches to police officers he has called mexican people writ large as mex as drug users and rapists and probably worse than what i'm saying right now and he has condoned violence against the press and we're seeing the press being targeted. At these actions right, and so I think that bay area officials law enforcement included need to uh, need to ask themselves which side are they on and understand that we are today living in an authoritarian time. And I think that quite frankly, using curfews um, in this context and, and even associating it with, with protest is wrongheaded and it is in line with the president um, who has basically said anyone who is against him is, um, is lawless. And it becomes a distraction from the real issue which is ongoing police violence that has not been held accountable in any systemic way in this country since the founding of this country. And frankly, it, it, it draws our attention. We've spent most of our time talking about it. Rather than talking about the blue wall of violence and the blue wall of silence, that is the real issue. And, quite I frankly, want to bring our
0: callers in here. Zach. excuse the me. The Be- attorney
2: is, is, is also complicit and part of this. Because Stephen Taylor was killed inside of a Walmart in San Leandro, and the district attorney has accepted donations from the San, San, San Leandro Police Department, which p- presents a conflict that should be addressed by it, m- ensuring that she no longer takes contributions from police unions. That is part of this blue wall of silence that needs to be dismantled, and that we need to ensure that people have the basic um, human rights and goods that really and truly make community safe, like access to healthcare in the middle of a global pandemic.
0: Oh, we got access- lots of callers. I want to get to our callers as best as we can. And I remind listeners, Zach Norris is executive director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. I also want to read a quick tweet from uh, Olivia, because I've asked a couple of quick tweets, people to weigh in here, Olivia writes, Uh, It is fruitless to advocate for curfew compliance in the face of recent events. If it is to prevent looters, who cares if peaceful protesters are defying it? The entire point of protesting is to be defiant and to capture attention. And Jeffrey tweets, our protests are not only trying to stop police officers' knees from choking the life out out of black people, we're trying to keep racism's knee from choking the life out of democracy. And bring a caller on here. Maya, that's you. Good morning. You're on the air.
5: Hi. Hi, thank you for taking my call. So um, I live in San Francisco and I have been protesting uh, peacefully. I'd like to um, uh, make a comment that I disagree with your commentator about uh, curfew affecting our civic uh, liberties. When the COVID outbreak We were the first in the nation that we put a lid on our civil liberty and we sheltered in place for the sake of our community and the entire country. And now if the curfew is another way to put a lid on civil liberty temporarily to protect our community from being destroyed and damaged, I'll take it with open heart and open arms. My community has already suffered significant damage because of the shelter in place. People lost jobs. They lost their businesses. And now they're going to lose it even more because of the looters. I have been protesting peacefully, but you know what? When I see some people around that they are aggressive, they are breaking stuff and they are looting. I feel more comfortable if police be around me and at some point say, Hey guys, you are not protesting peacefully. Maybe you should end being the street. I no, don't Maya, understand. let me
0: thank you for that call. I get a response from you on this, Professor Earl. I mean, th- this is uh, the voice of someone who's been out there in the protest and feels very strongly against what happened in Minneapolis, but feels uh, maybe we need police protection and maybe we need a curfew to ensure it.
4: Well, I think one thing to think about in this situation is to step back and ask uh, a different kind of question which is we actually have violence, property damage, and I think it, if, if it were described differently legally, theft happening on both sides. Uh, so if you could go online and see lots of videos of uh, police officers hitting people with batons without apparent cause. You can see uh, officers using tasers during car stops. Those two officers in Atlanta have been fired you can see uh, reports of and videos of media being attacked and having their cameras damaged. You can find reports of police taking property from people, and so violence, property damage, and threat is uh, and theft is happening both uh, at the hands of police and at the hands of protesters. And so, what's a solution that can reduce that violence, property damage, and theft on both sides? Um, And a big problem with using curfews to try to reduce that is it's aimed at reducing that only on one side. And as you pointed out earlier, it creates a huge amount of discretion and also uh, a real absence of intensive oversight over police conduct. And so we're seeing videos of police doing things out in the open, knowing that they're probably being videotaped in, in New York, in uh, Atlanta, in Houston, um, that they know they shouldn't be doing, and they're still doing. Um, so I think what we need to work for is a solution that, unlike curfews, says we actually have violence, property damage, um, and property removal on uh, by civilians and by police. What's the solution that would actually reduce that on both sides.
0: Again, uh, Jennifer is Professor of Sociology at the University of Arizona. Let me go back, if I may, to you, Nancy O'Malley and Nancy O'Malley's District Attorney of Alameda County. Uh, is your office investigating any claims of misconduct against law enforcement in the county in connection with their actions during the protests?
3: Uh, right now, As of this uh, time, we have not received any um, complaints directly to my office. Generally, de- com- people are complaining to the police departments.
0: And if I could go back to you, Zach Norris, uh, Ella Baker Center for Human Rights was one of the groups that organized the anti-curfew sit-in last night. What happened during the protest, and was anyone arrested?
2: Uh, no one was arrested during the protest. Um, we uh, listened to speakers. We sat down. Um, in the middle of uh, the intersection at 14th and Broadway. There were thousands of people out there. And, you know, I sympathize with the caller who described, you know, the, um, the dire straits that we are in as a country in terms of the economic situation connected to this global pandemic. Um, What I think um, is that people should really heed the words of the protesters um, who are really calling for a shift and a systemic shift Um, This country was uh, founded by white settlers who would use the term The only good Indian is a dead Indian and I think that we haven't evolved as much as we think we have because too many of our government officials believe that the only good government is a deaf government And I know that may sound extreme, but what I mean by that is that um, We have funded prisons punishment policing um, in California from 1980 to 2000 we built 20 new prisons and just one new university cities devote the lion's share of their resources to policing Counties like Alameda County just gave Sheriff Greg Ahern $300 million in the middle of the global pandemic when they're anticipating deep cuts to social services. And so we see the cut after cut after cut to health care and housing, employment, everything else gets cut but law enforcement. And so law enforcement now is effectively enforcing structural racism and inequality because what else could they do? There's There's really no real social safety net. And I think we've lost the understanding that the social safety net has the word safety right in the middle of it. And if we actually funded a social safety net, a lot of these problems would be obviated and people wouldn't need to be in the streets demanding um, uh, uh, the chance to live. Right? Black people are dying from COVID, they are dying from hunger, they are dying from a lack of shelter, and they are being killed when they try to survive as George, Lo- George Floyd was. And that's the systemic conversation that we need to be having, quite frankly. It isn't about curfews. Curfews are indicative of that same law and order approach that, the, that our president is calling for and is frankly
0: part of the problem. Well, it's all interrelated in many ways, Zach. And uh, Zach Norris, again, is Executive Director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. And I want to go to a question for you, uh, if I may, uh, District Attorney O'Malley. This is from Dan, who says, when Alameda County issued the curfew, AC Transit canceled service. How do frontline workers come and go to work and home? And that's uh, a big question in many people's minds with respect to curfews. Uh, We're opening up for businesses again. Some people have to work at night. Uh, What about that part of the curfew?
3: Well, I think that's a very legitimate concern is how does somebody who doesn't have their own transportation be able to get to their job site using public transportation? I, I don't have a good answer for that uh, because I think that, uh, you know, frankly, the, the order that was put out is quite limited. So people going to work uh, do have the ability to uh, should have the ability to ride public transportation. That is that that movement uh, is an exempt. Um, uh, conduct or behavior to the but, but to the looting order in
2: uh, district attorney because my father uh, Cleans the juvenile hall and I'm worried about him coming home from his work because he doesn't work regular hours He's a black man. And so if the police stop him and say he's violating the curfew even though he's coming home from work What's his and and we know what these police stops entail, right? And so this is precisely the problem of a curfew, even as I was coming home from the protest itself and just peacefully riding my bike home, but passing by police officers and fearful for my life because I'm on my bicycle alone. So the curfew then becomes an, a, an excuse for the same problem that we are actually trying to oppose, which is the arbitrary use of police force and violence.
0: The email, though, uh, said that AC Transit was canceled. That, is that true, uh, District Attorney O'Malley? To your knowledge,
3: they did. They did suspend. So yeah. did, and I believe Bart did also. I just want to say that Professor Earl raised a very good point, which is that that so much of this, the it requires us to sit down at to sit down with each other, and to sit down and not only talk but listen to each other, and that is not necessarily happening. Um, out on the street. The protests have been critically important. And frankly, Alameda County and Oakland particularly have a long honored, have long honored protest policies and uh, allowing protests to occur. And it's been very commonplace for since the 60s and the free speech movement in Berkeley. Protests have moved the dial tremendously about improving social uh, or eliminating social ills. And I think this is a, this is the time this is now that these discussion points that that Zach is talking about and Professor Earls talking about about police relations and police uh, brutality and and other issues with law enforcement are critically important. But I want to point out also that uh, you know in, in my office where we are we have a policy. We've had protests, numerous protests. We're not protesting people. We're not prosecuting people for exercising their First Amendment right and protesting, even if they're breaking the laws about blocking the sidewalks or, or things like that. We're really focusing on the, the violence that goes on with the protest. And to the point that was that was made earlier by Zach, that what we've seen through video and other footage is that the, the protesters, many, many of whom are African-American, but not the protests, are very mixed in the ethnicities of people. They're the ones that are stopping these white uh, people that, that – it is believed, are part of organized crime. They're stopping them. They're trying to stop them from breaking into, um, breaking into the stores and doing the damage. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that the, there is a basis for a curfew, but at the same time, by the way that we saw with OPD last night at the sit-in, that, you know, they respect, they respected the right of people to protest, even civil protest, to the curfew law because there, there wasn't the damage, there wasn't the danger, there wasn't the other components that have plagued this county since fr- last Friday night. has been overwhelming amount of violence, overwhelming amount of shootings, overwhelming amount of looting just since last Friday. And that's this limited last resort, a last resort to try to curb that violence and keep our streets and our neighborhoods safe for people that, that have a right to be there.
0: I want to read a comment, if I may, from Pam, who writes, "Uh, curfews enforced on black people are not just a relic of the Jim Crow South. They were very much alive in places in the Bay Area, like Richmond, for certain neighborhoods and certain people. I know several people in their 50s who remember not being allowed outside after 6 p.m. in Richmond. And we should also mention, uh, uh, Zach Norris was talking about curfews used against uh, indigenous people. Uh, They were also used against the Japanese, of course, uh, before the internment. I want to get to another caller, and that's John in Oakland. John, good morning. You're on the air.
2: Hi. Uh, I'd like to
0: preface this by saying that I'm on the left and have been involved with radical left politics in the past. My issue is uh, groups like organized groups like the Black Bloc, which are a group of anarchists, are using the protests as cover to further their agenda, which is not about social justice, but tearing the whole system down. And their idea is to use the protest as a cover, and if the police react, that's actually showing the true face of the state, that the state uses violence to suppress people, and it doesn't matter that um, the people who are actually getting arrested
2: aren't the ones doing the action.
0: Zach Norris, what do you say to that? Uh, I mean, certainly there are many who would like to cause an insurrection or taking down of the state and are using this uh, as a sort of cover for whatever their political ideology might be, and violence is behind it.
2: I mean, I think that, um, quite frankly, um, the order of the day is unjust, and Dr. King said it that we need a nonviolent revolution that would transform the triple evils of racism, poverty, and militarism. And he also said that those who uh, make nonviolent revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And so the question to uh, local elected officials, the mayor, the board of supervisors, Is what are you doing to produce systemic change in this region that would ensure that our government does more to support life and safety than it does to support death. And, and, and frankly, the ongoing uh, cycle of poverty, incarceration and premature death of people of color, black and indigenous people in particular.
0: Um, Let me ask you a direct question here, though, Zach, excuse me, because... um, uh, And
2: and I'm answering your your question directly because I think there's a tendency for us to um, talk tactically about protests when this country is in a crisis moment and elected officials are not responding with the level of urgency to produce systemic change. Instead, they're using some of the same tactics, curfew being one of them, that is an arbitrary application of law that allows choice and and frankly whether or not the 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 police are currently choosing to arrest folks or not is beside the point it what what is the point is what is being done to address the largest levels of unemployment in this country since the great depression we have the highest level of wealth of any region in the country and we should be deploying that wealth to actually support black folks white folks brown folks who are suffering in this moment and that should be the conversation that we're having. Um,
0: it's a very important conversation. Nobody's denying that. But I want to ask you a direct question from a listener named Ruth, who says, "I'm a longtime ACLU supporter." Please ask Zach Norris what he thinks the police should do absent a curfew when organized looting happens at night, taking advantage of the circumstances of the protests. Well,
2: whether it's whether
0: it's organized looting or no, organized that's crime. That's a
2: yeah. that's a great question, and I think that the ACLU complaint would. Um, uh, establish that there are laws on the books to prevent and um, provide recourse for law enforcement to enforce the laws, which include, you know, laws against vandalism, laws against um, breaking and entering, laws against carrying guns, if, if that's the, um, the uh, charge, if those are the charges. And quite frankly, using the specific application of those laws ensures that there isn't the arbitrary application of the law that we are actually currently protesting um, which is the arbitrary application of laws that have disproportionately caused the the loss of life of black people
0: right, let me get so let me get a response from the, the district attorney on this I, I want to, to get to nancy o'malley on Amazon. this zach uh, and i want to read another comment before i go to nancy o'malley This is Dawn who says, while I absolutely sympathize with the protesters, it's time for our government and the entire Bay Area, including San Francisco community, to grow up. We need curfews to curb the violence and crimes people have invested their lives and savings to live in this, the most expensive area. Uh, When little children act up inappropriately, they are sent to their room. It sounds kind of harsh, but again, you know, Zach's arguments are salient and they're important. uh, But, District Attorney, I'd like to hear what you say in response to the fact that you're coming out with an argument that essentially says we need curfews. Why do we need curfews to curb crime or to curb looting?
3: Well, I, I want to just, again, reemphasize that the, the law, the same laws that articulate uh, the crimes of looting and burglary and all those others, the government code authorizes the issuance of emergency orders in these very unique sit- times, unique situations. So the law itself limits the duration of, a, of an order to seven days. The law itself says that the proclamation must be terminated at the earliest possible date that conditions warrant it. And so even the law understands that the use of curfew should be uh, in only the extreme cases where there, where, as an emergency order and only for the, the short duration that it's required to bring order back to that community. And I believe that that is exactly, uh, you know, yesterday uh, Mayor Breed lifted the curfew order after the couple of days that it was in place. I know the mayors of Alameda County are very, very committed to lifting any curfew when there's no longer uh, that critical emergency, emergency need for it. And I think that's an important point. It's not unyielding uh, power. It's very limited. In the what, what, how this order can be used.
0: District Attorney, let me break in here a second. We've got a little time left. I want to go back to Jennifer Earle. Alternatives to curfews in the light of this controversy that's come up here this morning, Jennifer Earle?
4: Well, I think one of the things that many of your listeners may not realize is that while we often think that law enforcement tactics are effective at achieving their aim with respect to things that police do to limit protest, um, the research would tell you that. Uh, police action against protest uh, doesn't always deter protest. In fact, a lot of times, it actually increases the amount of protest. And so the idea that um, you can police your way through protest is just probably not true (laughs) Um, and against uh, First Amendment principles. So solutions that look towards um, de-escalation where police departments, you know, you can find videos of police departments that have handled this very differently.
0: We're going to have, to, have, have to leave it there. I'm sorry to say, Jennifer, oh, we've run out of time, but I appreciate your being with us. Appreciate Zach Norris is being with us and appreciate Nancy O'Malley is being with us. And of course, appreciate you, our listeners, being with us as well. Another forum hour ahead. Stay tuned for that. I'm Michael Krasny.